Hello, everybody, and welcome to 30 Minute Thrive, your go-to podcast for anything and everything HR, powered by MRA, the Management Association. Looking to stay on top of the ever-changing world of HR? MRA has got you covered. We'll be the first to tell you what's hot and what's not. I'm your host, Sophie Voller, and we are so glad you're here. Now it's time to thrive. Well, hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us today. I'm here with Amanda Mosteler, Director of Talent Development. Uh, she's in our MRA Ohio division, but Amanda, welcome back. I know you've been been on one show so far, so we're glad to have you back for a second one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for asking me to be back. Oh, of course. But for those who don't know, don't know Amanda, Amanda's area of expertise really aligns with areas of the talent development industry. She spends her time in developing learning programs, defining talent development strategy, driving business metrics assess through their people, and individual success through coaching. So today, we're really going to be covering employee design learning. And Mm -hmm. when when we talked about doing this episode, Amanda, you were also in the middle of writing an article on this topic, too. So Mm -hmm. I encourage our listeners to stay tuned for that release date, and we'll get you the link. Absolutely. But kind of starting with a little overview here, could you explain what employee design learning really means and how it differs from traditional approaches to professional development? Yes, yes. So employee design learning programs put the employees in the driver's seat of creating the learning experience of the program that they themselves, their colleagues, and future individuals that come into roles like theirs will experience in terms of their development. So the difference here is we aren't leveraging the instructional designer to design and build everything. We are leveraging employees that have a passion for development and a desire to really shape what they, their colleagues and their future selves will be impacted by, what they're going to go through. This is a knowledge base and a resource to tap that is really going to impact what everything looks like and really what we focus on. So how it differs is instructional designers become more of a consultant and a coach to an employee individual or team, uh, depending on how big the learning program is going to be. So traditionally, instructional designers um, own and manage and go through all of this and they touch on SMEs. And this feels different because you are leveraging different resources and you are positioning yourself as the designer in a different way. So those are the ways that we see this differ in employee design learning versus traditional instructional design processes because the employees play the largest role (laughs) in in creating this program or programs, depending on how large it is. So in your experience, what are some of the key benefits of involving employees in the design of their own learning experience? And how does this really impact their engagement and skill development? No, it's a long question. (laughs) No, it's a good one, though. So, you know, traditionally, instructional designers connect with key stakeholders. This is often leadership within the organization who's kind of out of touch of what the roles that are being impacted by the program actually experience in their day to day and where their true development needs are. So 
When we flip this approach and we put employees in the design driver's seat, you're going to get insights, you're going to get tailored programming that's reality for what their lives truly are like. So the way we partner with stakeholders is we ask them strategically, where are you trying to go? This is a common instructional designer question as you're developing a program. What are we trying to meet? What are we trying to do? (laughs) That's kind of where we end with the stakeholders for now. So we say, excellent. Thank you for giving me the strategic vision. We're identifying what skills, what knowledge, skills, and abilities the individuals within your organization need to possess to get you to that vision. Put a pin in that, we'll be back. And then this program and this approach really says to the employees, here's what we're trying to do as an organization, as a business, here's where we're trying to go. Here's what we need to be able to do to get us there. Where are you at? What are we doing today? What are some of the barriers that you typically don't get development in that you need? What are we missing? What skills are we not aware of? What areas don't we know that your roles need? And this is different than a SME because with a SME, they give this conversation, they give you some advice, they give you some resources and they're like, all right, call me if you need me. Mm -hmm. But the employee designed learning approach really says to the employees, okay, you don't get to tell me this and then walk away. You get to help me build all of this. So the benefits are one, really connecting to reality of what the employees need, of what the roles truly need to know. Sometimes, again, well-intentioned leaders, still, there's a lot of things they're doing that are different. Our heads are lifted up. We're looking further ahead. We're not doing the day-to-day. So sometimes we think there are tools and resources that are readily available or that employees, the individual contributors are aware of, or that they're coming in the door with, and they're not. So we have to really identify How do we make them aware? What can we leverage? As well as what are they, what is coming in the door with truly look like? And only the people doing the work that also have a passion for development, which is another way putting the employees in the driver's seat and creating this, what we would call a learning committee um, or a design committee, differ from potentially a SME. These are folks that have a passion for developing their colleagues and for impacting the experience that they might have to go through at the end of this anyway. Mm -hmm. And your traditional SME might not be someone that has a passion for development. So they might give the instructional designer the bare minimum of the required time that they've been tapped for. So employee-designed learning, the folks that are part of it volunteer to be part of it. So that's an important differentiator as well. We are asking for volunteers to be part of a design committee. We're being upfront with time, expectations, goals, what these individuals are going to be doing. So they're aware of what they're committing to, but they have a desire to commit to it. Whether that is experiential learning for themselves or, um, growth strategies for an individual who 
is doing a stretch assignment this way. They might be meeting their own personal professional goals while benefiting their team and their future new hires or future colleagues as well. So you're really utilizing an approach that puts employees not only in the driver's seat of designing it, but employees with a different level of investment with a different level of connection to the day-to-day work so they can truly tell us, you want us to get there strategically? Here's what we need to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Here's the things you need to teach us about. Here's the resources we don't have today that we need to find. And then a group that says, I'm not just going to tell you this in one meeting and then have you come back to me, designer, with the rough outline and with the content and say, yep, you did it. This is a group that's going to say, I'm going to help you pull together the outline. I'm going to help you pull together the content. I'm going to help identify great resources that we should make more intentional in raising my colleagues' awareness to. Um, So this is a group that really from start to finish is a part of every step of the way. They're not just interviewed a couple of times. They are knee deep in helping create not doing it all. I'm not saying they're going to make the PowerPoints and they're going to make the learner materials. The instructional designer is still doing that, but they are um, much more of a guide for these folks as to what the kind of right resources are. And if we say we're meeting this objective, we should probably have some activities in there. What activities would make sense and help me figure out what they are, help me design them. So it's really getting a deep investment. And then when you actually run the program, not only do you have great buy-in, but man, do you have a great crew of individuals who are going out to their colleagues to say, no, when you come to this class, like come in ready to learn because it's going to be what we need because we helped build it. Yeah. And I would imagine that this definitely positively impacts engagement and skill development. But do you have any other thoughts on that, on how it's really impacting engagement among employees? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I used to be really proud of programs that I would build that I would think, man, we hit the mark. This is the best daggone program. I used all the new bells and whistles and everything my certification taught me to do. I am so good. And then I would have folks come out of the program like, that was fun, but Mm -hmm. what about bullet point, bullet point, bullet point of things that I still can't do? Like, I can't do that. That's not reality to my day to day. Who'd you talk to? (laughs) You come up with this. So You know, when you're having folks that truly live the day-to-day help create something that the stakeholders sign off on. Because as I mentioned, we tell the stakeholders to put a pin in it. Once we come up with the design plan and what it's going to look like and what the best delivery modality is and what the best cadence is and how long these things should be, um, we go back and the design committee Uh, maybe one representative of the design committee or the committee themselves, again, depending on how large of a program you're building, can be a big committee. It might be one or two people would go with you to the stakeholders, you being the instructional designer to say, here's where we're at. Here's what we think is going to get the biggest bang. And then you have stakeholders saying, sure. I mean, 
tell the employees who do the work, no, (laughs) we don't want the program that you think will get us there. Of course, they're going to have stakeholder buy-in to what you're recommending. Uh, And then you have employees who who are aligned with their leadership. So it's this whole full circle of everybody being on the same page for what this experience program, whole program, long-term series might be. Because you also run into, as an instructional designer, and my other ID folks out there will nod in agreement with this, where stakeholders will give you a list of goals and you'll set up all these objectives and they'll say, yeah, we need you to get that done in one two-hour virtual life. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. You just gave me enough objectives to meet in three full days. Yes. <laughs> you want me to do it in two hours? That's Thanks for the heads up. Yeah, right. That would have been something to tell me ahead of time. Um, so, so this really becomes collaborative in a different way, where again, the instructional designer is kind of facilitating and guiding and consulting and helping everyone to create a program that everybody is in agreement that this is the way to get the needs met for our team members that will get us strategically to where we're trying to go. So it's this full circle connection and a full circle buy-in because my peers are going to be more invested in coming to a class that I know my colleagues designed, not, mm-hmm. you know, an instructional designer and the VP who hasn't done this job in 10 plus years themselves. So it it really creates buy-in top down. And everyone coming into the class is aware that this is a, this was designed differently. I've had experiences where SMEs were tapped because they are the best at what they do, but it, they don't have that passion for learning. But also they too might be disconnected from the majority of their colleagues and the bell curve. They're the extreme high potential and we're ready to move them on to the next role. And so they should be the person you're talking to. And while their colleagues might be really motivated by, excuse me, that individual and where they're going, um, the strategies that individual might have been recommending, either we aren't really going to replicate or, again, might not be realistic to the majority of the group's day to day. So it's a balancing act as a designer, as an instructional designer to put in best practices, effective strategies encourage people to stretch themselves while not being so unrealistic that the program truly missed. And the best way to ensure alignment all around and that the program isn't going to miss the mark is by involving more employees that have a desire, that have a goal, um, and that have a realistic view of what the role is really like. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, you know that we love stories on the podcast and we love examples and all of that good stuff. So do you have any success stories or just any examples of what other organizations are doing mm-hmm. around um, implementing employee design learning? Yeah. So we have a member organization uh, right now who has a big strategic plan and they actually have an employee learning committee and they're working on creating um, 
career pathing strategies and design uh, programs to support employees along the way. So we have net new employees and we have employees that have been doing uh, that role for a while and employees that have transitioned into other roles. So they know where the gaps were in that transition and they know, you know, what resources might've been helpful. And so they're in the midst of this right now. I'm very excited to see where this goes for them. It's on their strategic initiative, which again, is that leader buy-in leaders said strategically, we recognize we need some supports along the career path, not just a mapped outline of a career path for folks. Mm -hmm. And then they empowered their um, HR leadership team to pull together a committee of volunteer employees. So we have a group doing it right now. I'll be excited to see where that goes. And then I helped an organization a couple of years ago, which was a huge success story. This is I'm very proud of this one. <laughs> um, but it was a sales organization, an organization of uh, IT sales individuals who have been doing it for a very long time. And so one of the things I would run into with their leadership was, you know, my sales team has been selling this stuff for a really long time. There's nothing they need to know. And I was like, hmm. I wonder how they think about that. <laughs> so I had been tasked with identifying a progressive learning program. The plan was for new employees coming into the organization to have a up to three year progressive plan to get from kind of a um, lead qualifier role up to account executive. And they wanted, they had two SMEs. The problem was these were their two SMEs every time they wanted me to do a learning thing. So we had two very burned out SMEs who did not have a passion for development. They liked to share their expertise. They liked to be asked, what do I, they think would work. They could spare 20 minutes for me because they were out doing the thing. They liked doing the work. So well-intentioned people but not with the desires that I needed. I needed people that could give me time. Because when you're talking about a three-year development, progressive development strategy from folks that do lead qualification, and within three years, they have all the tools and resources and knowledge and experience that they need to be account executives and replace folks that have been doing it for 20 plus years, I need more than 15 minutes of your time. So what I ended up doing was saying, can, can you let me, you know, this is a big investment. Three years is a big investment. That also should mean time. Give me time to create something that's going to work. And let me tap on volunteers that are committed to seeing this through. And they did. They were well invest recognizing what they needed was the right development program. So they gave me the green light, said, please go do this. And I had volunteers. We were uh, multi, uh, we were in five countries. So I had volunteers from each country ready to help because they also could, we wanted to create a universal program. So we didn't want it to be country specific. Mm -hmm. And we wanted it to be multifaceted in the delivery modalities for the program. But 
we knew that, you know, what worked in Canada might be different than what worked in Scotland, which might be different than what worked in the Hawaii market. So we were all over the place in terms of expertise and experience, which was excellent because we could pull some things that folks were like, well, I think that could work anywhere. Let's try that. Mm-hmm. So I had a big volunteer base, which was good because a three-year program is a lot of different tools you're putting into place, right? So what we ended up doing was utilizing a sales competency model, and we identified the uh, new account acquisition KSAs, knowledge, skills, and abilities for that competency and account retention and growth for that competency, plus some foundational everyone. Because remember, we're looking at folks that are coming in that might be newer to the sales career field, being able to be account executives for enterprise size companies with big IT things. So talking a lot of skills that you need. And um, so we were able to come up with an assessment strategy. What we did was we had all existing uh, employees, all existing individuals in the role across all five countries, take the assessment, self-identifying where they felt they were strong and where they felt they could use some additional learning. Then we took all the universal, what we saw trending across all five, and we said, that is your targeted program. And we just identified, you know, kind of what what's foundational was is within the first year. What is new account acquisition is in the second year. What's account retention and growth higher level was in the third year. That was a recommendation the learning committee made. I wouldn't know. So <laughs> I, you know, was listening to them. And then we identified which things seem to have higher numbers of individuals that have even been doing it for over 20 years, right? identifying they wanted help and said, okay, so these are intentional interactive programs versus capabilities that, you know, we didn't have a trend of a lot of folks saying they might want help in it that we said, okay, we needed a separate group. We had subcommittees within our big learning committee and we had a separate group of volunteers that were just pulling resources and we had a resource bank targeted by which capability it would fill. And we had recommended books and we had podcasts that we, podcasts, look at that. that We (laughs) encouraged folks to listen to and articles and blogs that they encouraged folks to subscribe to. So a real resource bank for some of the less universal areas that folks were saying they needed assistance. And for the foundational things that everybody was saying they needed assistance, we said, there's your there's your first year development program right there. Let's build classes around this. So once we got that information, we were able to break and even do additional volunteers. Some volunteers were like, I'm tapped out. I have a big project coming. I got to step off. And we had new people going, oh, you know what? I actually would love to help design a program to build those capabilities. So we had some swapping going on and we were able to have these folks who were invigorated by this whole idea, uh, really helping me create these great classes and these great things. And then I, as the designer, right, I, I pulled all the materials together with them and we would have touch bases where I would say, does this exercise, is this what you were thinking? Because they were telling me what they were thinking, what they would think could work. 
And I would just be like, did I structure it right? Did I explain it correctly? Are these the scenarios that you're thinking? So I was doing all of the behind the scenes creation of it and getting their sign off and their sign off. Um, Throughout the way, we met with the senior leadership stakeholders and we um, would get their sign off. So it became this very collaborative all over the place program that my understanding, I did this over three years ago, is still running today. And one of the great things about the existing team members that weren't new in this career path funnel was we would, we once we were done, we created the cadence of the live classes and we made sure to communicate the resources for everybody else of those things like the the podcasts, the books, the the blogs and and things like that. And what we found was we had existing individuals who had identified that something might be an area that they could use like voluntarily signing up for these classes that they had said they needed assistance in mm-hmm. their colleagues had created And then these experts who are, and not that they weren't experts, I don't mean to do air quotes as if they weren't, these were individuals who really knew what they were doing, but the perception originally from leadership, right, was they've been doing it for 20 years, they don't need help, Mm -hmm. voluntarily taking time out of their sales day, which for any sales folks listening, you know, that takes a lot (laughs) to step away from your sales uh, week and attend a class that their colleagues helped design. So it was, it was really cool. And I really liked it. And it was my first time really pushing for senior leadership to um, have faith in their team members' abilities to do this, have faith that team members that are wanting to do this are still committed to their quotas, which they were all still making because it wasn't, to get out of doing their stuff. That was part of the expectations we had set. You still have to meet your sales quotas. That's still an expectation. So know that this isn't, 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 excuse me, isn't an excuse to get away from meeting your sales quotas. So we had folks that, that had a passion and a desire to help. And that's the outcome you get when you have folks that really want to help build something great for their colleagues and for the next generation that will come into these roles when they leave. Yeah, I love those examples. And it's great to hear kind of like the step by step process that you followed and implemented to kind of create that successful employee design learning approach for this company and other yeah. companies. And it's cool to hear that it's still running today and still sounds successful. So kudos <laughs> to you. Thanks. The fear designers have when they create something and then they walk away and then they find out like a year later, oh yeah, that ran twice. And then, you know, we had a new yeah. initiative takeover. It's like, it crushes your soul. Yes. <laughs> You're like, I, I put so much time into that. <laughs> so um, to hear that it's still running is, is very, it's makes awesome. me very happy. <laughs> Well, you've mentioned we've kind of talked about how instructional design is really a crucial aspect of creating Mm -hmm. effective learning experiences. So how does involving employees in the design process influence the instructional instructional design decisions for these professional development programs? Yes, good question. The designer doesn't take a backseat. And I think that's an important clarifier to make. You're putting on a different hat. For quite a bit of time, you're consulting. So you're helping. I mean, these these are individuals that 
very likely don't have a large adult learning theory knowledge base. So that's part of how you're helping them understand. Sometimes folks are very lecture driven and you're like, um, or <laughs> let's try something else. Um, and sometimes folks uh, want to spoon feed things, spoon feed, excuse me. And, and so helping them understand we got to make sure to recognize the expertise in the room and folks have their own ideas. And so the instructional designer puts on the consultant hat for quite a bit because mm-hmm. uh, we also want to help educate the learning committee on these important facets too. We help them understand when you're saying, I mean, I did a lot of work uh, with this sales team, just explaining Bloom's taxonomy objective writing and identifying, okay, when you say that phrase, <laughs> What that means is you're looking for this certain level, like a level three knowledge gain. And to do that, it means we need to put exercises in there because we need to see them do it. Or you're highlighting something that means we're going to need to put in a three-month touch base to check and see if they've transferred it, which is great. I'm not saying we don't do it. We're just helping really a lot of educating on the ID field to this learning employee uh, learning committee. So that's one thing the designer does that is sometimes designers are like, it's faster if I do it myself. I'm like, no, you're right. You are absolutely right. Cause you don't have to explain all of this stuff, but depending on how big the program is, it might be, you know, helpful to have a group. And again, that, that goes to that buy-in and that at the end is everybody as excited about it as you are. <laughs> um, and, and this strategy is kind of an ounce of prevention approach take some time to educate and see the world after. Um, So that's, that's one thing the designer does differently, but again, the designer is still ultimately building the stuff. I don't send PowerPoint templates to the employee committee of a certain class and go, all right, let me see what you build. You're still doing the creation. So there's still that in between, but they're helping nail down the outline again, nail down those exercises. And and you step in with that knowledge and that expertise and help make sure creativity doesn't run wild to where we're getting away Mm -hmm. of that end goal vision, which is the strategy we're trying to help the organization achieve. So we do sometimes, I had some zany ideas come up from that sales group that I was like, that sounds cool. I'm not quite sure what that has to do with breaking into new markets. So can we tie that together for me? And if they couldn't, I was like, then let's let's table that idea for some future just for fun training. I'm not sure what we're going to do with that, but had to had to kind of steer well, the ship a lot. Yes. <laughs> We're kind of talking about now as we wrap up here how this fits into the company's goals and strategy overall. What strategies or methods can organizations adapt to ensure that employee design learning programs align with the company's overall goals and objectives? You're looking to do something like this for more future forward. And what's funny is having a group of sales leaders think about where they want to be three years from now. Cause it, you know, it takes six, depending on again, how big the program, it could be a one-time new hire class and you're just grabbing your learning committee of folks that are on their second year of employment to help design it. 
Um, Because you want to think as the designer strategically, who are the right people for the learning committee? It might not be a job role. It might be a length of time. It might be... uh, we talked in our networking groups podcast about, you know, first year managers. So maybe that group that's now in their second year, if you're trying to figure out how to successfully own your role at this organization, you want to build a class or a program around that, you're nabbing folks that are in their second year to find out what worked, what didn't, how did we help, where did we miss, what would you train folks in? Um, so really thinking through strategically who your pool of people are and how you would want to use them for what you're thinking. But I encourage organizations to think two to three years ahead, where are you trying to go? Because Mm -hmm. we need to start focusing now on building the skills and capabilities to make sure your organization's talent pool has what it needs to get you there. You can't constantly think, well, we'll hire for that. You have talent right now that is guaranteed amazing and guaranteed ready for continuing to grow. We know engagement things talk about how now folks are looking to their employer to continue their career development. They're not looking to do it on their own. They're looking to you to do it for them. So thinking through those things is really beneficial. Asking a group of sales leaders where they think they'll be in three years. I did not know it. I would get met with such faces of like, I don't know. And I was like, well, well, are we going to be selling cars or are we still going to be selling, you know, cloud-based IT services? Can we at least figure that out? Right. So it really, it was funny, but, um, you know, I think strategically organizations need to look long-term. Where are we trying to go as an organization? Which groups are going to help us get there? And what do they need to be able to do? Because because this is an investment of employee time, you don't want it to be a one and done. You want to have them help build something that's scalable, that's replicable, that's going to be around for a few years because it's part of getting you to where you're trying to go. And then also helping the employees understand it will continue to evolve as where we're going will continue to evolve. We create these three-year strategies as business leaders. And once you get there, it's not like, all right, high five, we can coast now. It's all right, now what's the next one? What's the next three-year strategy? What's the next one? So something like this, since it takes time investment, is is for those types of, of big kind of what do we need to empower our employees with to get us where we need to go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is all the time we have today, unfortunately, but we're coming back with a part two on this topic. So excited about that. But Amanda, thanks for all the great information you shared. I think we can all walk away with some great ideas around implementing um, employee design learning experiences. But to our listeners, if you liked our chat and topic today, I'd urge you to comment something new you learned or anything that you want to add on to this conversation, any questions or um, any new things you're seeing here. But don't forget to share this episode. And of course, consider joining MRA if you aren't a member already. We've got all the resources you need in the show notes below, including resources on this topic. 
Otherwise, thanks for tuning in today. And don't forget to come back for part two of this episode. And we will see you next week. And that wraps up our content for this episode. Be sure to reference the show notes where you can sign up to connect for more podcast updates. Check out other MRA episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, make sure to follow MRA's 30-Minute Thrive so you don't miss out. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next Wednesday to carry on the HR conversation.